This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We start tonight's entertainment by going back to 1949 to listen as Jack Webb stars in Dragnet and the episode Homicide. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet! The documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, this is the story of your police force in action. Dragnet! It was Tuesday, March 25th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant, so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the record bureau, and it was 13 minutes past 11 when I got to room 42. Homicide. That's a hot shot. Somebody grab it. I got it, Ed. At 1245 East Doheny Street, one, two, four, two officers shot. At 1245 East Doheny Street, Street, two officers shot. What have you got, Friday? Read it. Two officers shot. Where's Romero? Right here, Skipper. Okay, you've got one to roll on. Get going. Both Ben and I knew where we were heading. We'd recognized the address. It was the Trapdoor Cafe, a joint in the south end of town that did business with a pretty rough crowd. Thirteen minutes later, we pulled up in front. Two patrolmen had the crowd pretty well pushed back. There was a cruiser car in front of the cafe. The car door was open and an officer was sprawled across the seat. He was conscious but weak, and one of his pant legs was pretty red. Hello, Sergeant. Hi. How you doing? I've done better. Yeah, well, what happened? Uh, Williams and I were cruising. We've been keeping an eye on this cafe lately. Tonight we decided to take a look. And just as we went in, two guys left in a hurry. The back door. We followed them out into the alley. It was dark out there, and I called to them. I said, hey, fellas, just a minute, I want to talk to you. They stopped? I'll see. One of them whirled. He had a gun in his left hand. He shot both of us. Left hand, huh? Williams went down and out. I went down, but I took a shot at them. No effect. Then I started crawling out here to the car so I could call in. 
He started crawling. Yeah. Wait a minute, Emerson. Weren't there any people around by that time? Oh, yeah. Quite a few ran out after the shots. You mean nobody would help you to the car? That's right. Did you get a good look at either of the gunmen? Well, one of them was tall. I think he was a redhead. There was something funny about his nose. That's all I saw. It's too dark out there. Williams was closer. I think he got a good look. Joe, the other officer, Williams, he's in pretty bad shape. Is he breathing? He's still alive, Emerson. I don't know how much time he's got. Ambulance? On the way. Okay, let's round up all the men who are in the cafe. We're taking them in. We took all the men back to the city hall. There were 23 in the trapdoor cafe at the time of the shooting. We questioned all of them. One of them said there had been a redhead in the place, but he couldn't describe him. Ben and I left the interrogation room, and we went back to the squad room. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yeah, Ed. Come on, Ben. Uh. Sit down. Okay. You got anything from those people you questioned? Nothing we could use. How's Williams? Pretty bad. When do they operate? As soon as he comes out of shock. Probably in the morning. You boys will be there. Yeah, we will. When the surgeon digs that slug out, get it and mark it for evidence. Yeah. Skipper, them two men shot without asking any questions. They must be hot. Yeah. Same thing occurred to me. When we get that slug, the ballistics can tell us whether that gun's been used on other jobs. We got enough of their modus operandi to have the statistician give us a run-through on the IBM now. One of them is left-handed, and he shoots quick. Okay, be in surgery tomorrow morning at 9. <laughs> Neither Ben or I said much on the way home, but we were both thinking the same thing. I knew the chief was thinking it, too. Here were two men who'd shot a couple of police officers without asking any questions. Now, I suppose you've heard a lot of stories about what the force thinks of cop killers. Sure, we don't like to lose our friends and partners any better than anybody else would. Why not figure it this way? If these two guys would gun a couple of armed police officers, do you think they'd hesitate to shoot you, the unarmed citizen? Next morning at 9 o'clock, Ben and I had scrubbed up and we were in surgery. Williams was on the table. The surgeon started in. A lot of minutes later, he got the slug. As for Williams, they took out seven feet of his intestine and said he might pull through. Joe, here's a report from ballistics. The slug they took out of Williams come from a 44 Smith & Wesson. A same gun was used in a liquor store killing about a month ago. You call the statistician? Yeah, uh-huh. She's running all the cards on previous shooting through the IBM machine. She ought to be through about now. Let's take a look. Okay, come on. Hi, Helen. Just a second. Okay. That's it for it. These cards will give you all the shootings pulled by two men on foot who shot quick, one of them left-handed. Right. They're all yours. Sure can tell a lot from just a bunch of little holes in these cards, can't you? <laughs> I can't, but this IBM machine can. Never ceases to amaze me. Okay, shall we check the cards, huh? Yeah, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, Ben. Here we are. Huh? Yeah. Here's that liquor store killing ballistics tied the Smith & Wesson in on. Same gun that Emerson Williams was shot with? Well, it checks out. The liquor store was in the same neighborhood as the Trapdoor Cafe. Same gun, huh? Got to be. How long ago? A month ago, yeah. Ben, take the DR number off this card and let's pull the crime report on that job. 
We pulled the crime report out of the files. It said that there was only one witness to that liquor store killing a month ago. That witness was a woman. Miss Forbes, I'm sorry to disturb you like this, but we'd like to ask some questions about that liquor store killing you witness a little over a month ago. Well, I told the police everything I knew about it then. Yeah, we know, but maybe you wouldn't mind telling us again, huh? Oh. No, I guess not. I, I've been trying to forget it to tell the truth. It was pretty terrible, and I really didn't see so very much because I was awful scared. I understand. But try to describe again just what happened, will you? Well, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I was walking down the street toward home when I re- realized I was all out of cigarettes. Well, I was right in front of the liquor store then, so I went in. The clerk was behind the counter, and there were two men standing there arguing. What's the idea of changing your mind? I thought we was going to get bourbon. No, let's get the wine. I want bourbon. Gosh, too much. Wine's good enough. The rest of them want bourbon, too. We better talk to them. Well, okay. We'll be back when we make up our mind, mister. Two men walked out of the store, and the clerk smiled at me and shrugged his shoulders. I bought a pack of cigarettes and turned to leave. But just then, the two men came back in again, and each of them had a gun in his hand. This is stick-up, mister. The clerk just sort of crumpled at the floor. I couldn't believe my eyes, but that's just how it happened. The men said this is a stick-up, and then they shot him right away. Get over against the wall, lady, or you'll get the same. One of them punched the nose tail on the cash register. I, I was shaking so I almost caved in. He scooped the money out of the drawer and stuffed it into his pocket. And then... Then the other one went over to where the liquor clerk was lying face down. He knelt down beside the clerk, and he put his gun against the clerk's spine. <laughs> then they both ran out of the store. I think it was terrible. That clerk, he was lying there helpless and wounded me. They delivered Yeah, Miss Forbes, I understand. Oh, Miss Forbes, uh, you said that both of the men had guns? Yes. One of the guns was black and the other was sort of, well, sort of fancy looking. What do you mean, Miss Forbes? Well, it was real shiny. Nickel plated? I wouldn't know about that, but it was shiny. There were two guns, huh? Yes. Well, now about the men themselves. Well, I... I was so scared their faces just didn't register with me. The one who... When we shot the clerk in the back was sort of stocky. It's about the best I can do. But you mentioned in the report that one of the men was left-handed. Yes, I do remember that. Uh-huh. Now, look, Miss Forbes. This is very important to us. One of the men was a redhead. Redhead? Why, no, I didn't see any redhead. <laughs> Skipper, me and Joe's run right smack into a stone wall on this thing. What's the complication? Well, there's more than one, Ed. In the first place, we know that the 44 Smith & Wesson was used in both shootings. But the descriptions of the men involved don't check. Police officer Emerson said he thought the man that, uh, uh, that shot him and Williams outside the trapdoor cafe was a tall, left-handed redhead. Said there's something funny about his nose. You think Williams got a better look at him? Well, probably did, but Williams isn't strong enough to talk yet. And a girl that witnessed the liquor store killing a month ago said that one of those men was left-handed. But she said neither of them was a redhead. Yeah, and on top of all that, now we've got two guns to worry about. The girl mentioned two guns, so we checked the autopsy report on that liquor clerk. And, Ed, the bullet that actually killed him came from a thirty-two twenty, not a forty-four Smith & Wesson. That fact didn't get any publicity at the time, did it? No, it didn't. Okay. We won't give it any publicity now, either. With a lot on, it's just the 44 Smith & Wesson we're after. Because if whoever owns the 3220 finds out it's hot, we'll never get it. Anything else? Well, we sent teletypes to all outland stations in neighboring cities. Told them if they get any red-headed suspects, no matter what charge they got them on, to 
hold them for questioning. Yeah. Now, how about this thirty-two twenty, the actual murder weapon? Any leads on it? We've got one, Ed. We've been checking the records, and we discovered that four hours after the liquor store killing, a taxi driver in the neighborhood was shot and robbed. The slug was pretty well mashed, but there was enough to tell it was from a thirty-two twenty. So we're going over to question the taxi driver now. Good. Well, I think you boys are on the right trail. So far, what we've got is mostly unrelated facts, but sooner or later, those facts have all got to tie in at some point along the line. Find that point. Yeah, find the point. Find the tie-in. Well, Ben and I went over to see the taxi driver, a guy who was living on borrowed time. Yeah, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when it happened. I got a call to pick up a fare near 105th and Avalon, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I got there, somebody came over, pulled up my cap door and said, this is a stick-up. Then Bluey, let me have it. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. Same deal as others, Joe. Itchy trigger finger. Yeah. Did you get any kind of a look at the fella? Look, no, no, it was too dark. Uh-huh. Hey, um, according to the report, you got shot in the chest. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're maybe wondering how come I'm still alive, huh? I'll tell you, pal, it's like something you'd see in a bad movie, you know? You know, I'm carrying a few silver dollars with me. Nine of them, to be exact. So I decided to stick them in my breast pocket. Well, mister, that just saved my life. The slug hit them silver dollars. The one for the book, huh? Yeah, you said it. Well, thanks very much. Say, incidentally, we had a little trouble finding you today. You weren't at the stand you operated out of last month. Well, look, look, uh, I'm not only not at my usual stand, I'm not driving a hack no more. Oh? Look, after what happened, are you kidding? No, I don't want to push my luck any further than it's been pushed. Yeah, I figure I had it. You know? And about that time, Ben and I were beginning to figure we'd had it. We were getting nowhere fast. We had a few informants nosing around, but so far they hadn't come up with any leads. Well, Ben and I followed up all the teletypes that poured in. We just got back from Santa Ana where we'd been questioning a redheaded suspect, and we'd flopped in the squad room when Chief Backstrand's door opened. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Please. Yes, Kim. Any luck with the Santa Ana redheads? No, none at all. Hmm. I guess you haven't heard the latest. We just now got back in town, Kevin. Early this morning, another cab driver got shot. What? Yeah. Man came up to his taxi, opened the door, said, this is a stick-up, and shot him. Well, it went through one leg and into the other, but the driver managed to start his cab and drove over to a cafe. He called in from there. Uh, boys recovered the slug? Yeah. It came from the same 44 Smith and Wesson that was used in the other two jobs. The cab driver get a look at the gunman? Yeah, briefly. Was it the redhead? No. Well, the stocky guy. He wasn't redheaded and he wasn't stocky. That's all the driver knows. Well, that's great. Skipper, this is beginning to sound like a guns a month club. You reckon somebody's renting them guns out? Well, they're passing the guns around all right, but I think they're working together. The way they operate indicates that. Yeah, the trigger happy routine. Killing is apparently more than a business to them. It's pleasure, too. That's why we've got to get to them fast. Come over here. All right. Come on, then. Here. Take a look at this map. Uh-huh. Here's the trapdoor cafe, and over here's the liquor store. Down here is where the first cab driver got shot. Mm-hmm. Right here's where the second one got it. Mm. All of the shootings have taken place within an area of ten square blocks. Okay. Tonight we're going to throw a blockade around that whole area. Good. It'll go into effect at 10 p.m. At 9.45 p.m., cars and officers started drifting into the area by twos and threes. At a 10, when Backstrand, Ben, and I arrived, the whole area was sewed up tighter than a tick. 
Pacific Ambulance Davis? One. Gotcha. All set? All set. We well, got a primary line and a secondary line. If anyone tries to make a break, we'll pick him up in the secondary. Okay. Friday and Romero here will cruise around the area with me. Go to work, man. Every car in the area was shaken down. The same process was also followed on all persons on foot. The blockade went on all night. By the end of that time, we'd brought in 217 suspects. 26 of them were redheads. What's your name? Henry Wagner. Where do you work? Lumber yard. Which one? First star. What time did you get through work last night? About six, I guess. What'd you do then? At some dinner. Where? Uh, Harry's Grill. Then what? Shot a little pool. Look, I tell you, I ain't done nothing. Now, uh, let's go back to the day before yesterday. And that's the way it went all day long. We shot question after question at them, working them gradually back to the days on which the shootings had taken place. When it was all over, we got six men wanted in other cities on various charges. We got quite an assortment of guns and knives. But as far as the shootings were concerned, we got nothing. Well, I guess that's the last of them. Oh, I was running out of questions there at the end. You two boys better go on home and get some sleep. Well... I was kind of figuring on checking back over the reports to see if we might have overlooked something. I said go on home. You two boys have been at it for 32 hours straight. Look at you. You're both so groggy you can hardly stand up. You need sleep. It's uh, 4 p.m. now. Don't come back until 10 p.m. When I walked into the squad room at 10, Ben was already there. An informant had just phoned in a new lead. He told Ben he'd heard about a gang that had been hanging out down around the DeVere bungalow court in the south end of town. We knew that the DeVere was close to the trapdoor cafe, so we went over to talk to the manager. Joe, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, you checked on how Williams is getting along? Yeah, I did. I called the hospital this afternoon. It's going to be all right. Oh, that's fine. Well, here we are. Yeah, manager's office. Still got a light on. Yeah? I'm Sergeant Friday. Police, this is Sergeant Romero. Yeah? We'd like a little information. Well, sure, come in. Thank you. What can I do for you? Well, did you hear anything about a gang that hangs out down around here anywhere? Gang? Well, no. Well, how about your tenants here? Any of them ever been in trouble, to your knowledge? No. This ain't exactly the best neighborhood in town, but we try to keep things under control. Once in a while, one of them will get out of line, but when that happens, we heave them out of here. You heaved anybody out lately? Yeah, I did. Phone his wife a few weeks ago. They had a fight in one of the bungalows. She took a shot at him, but she missed. Party by the name of Stuba, Carl Stuba. What did this Stuba look like? Oh, sort of tall, skinny. Was he a redhead? No. Now, we'd like to take a look at that bungalow that he lived in. Sure, sure. Help yourselves. Down the end there, number five. Still vacant. Does it? Stuba didn't leave a thing behind. Matter of fact, we don't have anything to prove that this Stuba's tied in at all. We're only working on a hunch. Hey, Joe, look. Where? Up on the wall there, just by the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that plaster there, it's newer than the rest. You got a knife? Oh, I sure have, boy, and I'm carving. That manager'd be awful unhappy with me if he is here. Yeah, he would. Yeah, it might. Hey, Joe, here it is. A slug. They plastered right over Okay, it. dig it out and let's hope it matches. It matched. 
the slug from the wall came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that had been used in the other shootings. So now we had a name to work on, Carl Stuba. But he'd done a good job of dropping out of sight. Well, the next day, Ben thought he had another lead. Just been talking to another informant, Joe. He says he heard that there's a fellow down in that neighborhood been trying to sell a gun lately. What kind of a gun? Nickel-plated with steer horn handle. Nickel-plated? Well, maybe that's our 44 Smith & Wesson. Maybe. Did the informant know who this man was? Said the fellow's name was Alonzo. Yeah. Alonzo who? Just Alonzo. That's all he knew. So now we had two names, Stuba and Alonzo, but no men to go with them. So we went back to making the rounds of the substations, interviewing redheaded suspects. We took a few of them to Williams, who was home from the hospital by now, but he couldn't identify any of them as the man who shot him. Still, we kept checking. Finally, we got around to the 77th Street station. We questioned the suspects they were holding there, and we just started to leave when one of the officers called us. Hey, Sarge, yeah. we're holding somebody else you might want to look at. Redhead? No. What's the choice? Suspicion of burglary? Small job. Oh, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? What's special about him? He lives in the same neighborhood where those shootings took place. All right. Where you got him? Down here. Admit anything? No. He's pretty surly. Here we are. Thanks. Hi. What do you want? I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Sergeant Romero. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Look, I already told the other cops all I know. I didn't steal no radio from that jerk. What's your name? We've been through all that once. Come on, what's your name? Jackson. Alonzo Jackson. Alonzo. I looked at Ben and Ben looked at me. This could be the Alonzo who'd been trying to peddle that Smith & Wesson. Ben and I both knew here was one suspect we'd have to be real careful with. Alonzo, uh... According to the records, this burglary you're suspected of took place on the night of the 27th. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys they didn't have anything to do with it? You got an alibi for that night? Sure, I got an alibi. I was out with a couple of friends, I can tell you. What's your friend's name, Londo? One of them's Cranley, the other Stuba. Stuba, the guy who used to live in the bungalow court. Well, we told Alonzo he'd have to produce his two friends to give him an alibi for the burglary charge, and he bit. He went with us, and he pointed out where Stuba was living now. No wonder we hadn't been able to find him. It was a little shack at the back of a lot behind two houses. We thought it was a chicken coop at first. We took Alonzo back to the station, then we picked up Stuba. He was surprised to see us and not very happy. We took him in. Next, Alonzo gave us Crandall's address. Yeah? Mr. Crandall in? No. Will he be back soon? I don't know. Who are you? Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, police. What do you want with him? Oh, nothing important, lady. We just wanted him as a witness. Oh. Well, I don't know just when he'll be back. Probably an hour or two. Okay, thanks. We went down the street away, and we staked out in the car. We sat there for about five hours, and then Ben nudged me in the ribs. Hey, Joe. Huh? Joe, take a look. Coming along the sidewalk. Yeah. And he's got red hair. Come on. Crandall. Huh? Your name Crandall? Who are you? Friday Romero, police. Police? What do you want with me? I, I haven't done nothing. Well, then you got nothing in the world to worry about. Come on. We 
questioned Crandall for an hour, but he wouldn't give an inch. Denied everything. Then we put him in a car and we drove over to Officer Williams' house. I left Ben in the living room with Crandall while I went in Williams' bedroom. Hello, Sarge. Hi, Williams. How you doing? Yeah, a little better, I think. That's fine. Look, we've got another redhead outside. <laughs> Bring him in. Okay. All right, Crandall, come on in here. Who's in there? Why'd you bring me over here? Come on in here. How about it, Williams? That's the guy. No, that's the guy that shot me. Well, Crandall? No. Yeah. It it was an accident. I didn't mean to shoot him. It was an accident. Once Crandall got started, he talked his head off. He also admitted being in on the liquor store killing, but insisted he was only the lookout. We took him back to the station and got his whole story down on a tape recorder. Yeah, he was left-handed. Then we went back to Alonzo, who didn't know we had Crandall's confession. We met the chief in the hall outside the room where they were holding Alonzo. About ready to tie the knot? Oh, hope so, chief. But Alonzo hasn't given any yet, and we still haven't found those guns. We've got one of them. Which one? The Smith & Wesson. Stuba popped about that one ten minutes ago. Said he left it with his girl. A couple of the boys are on their way over to get it now. That's good, Ed. That leaves just the thirty-two twenty. You have mentioned the thirty-two twenty to Alonzo, have you? No. He still thinks we're after that Smith and Wesson, and that's the way we're going to play it right now. Go ahead. Look, how much longer are you guys going to hold me here? Didn't you check with those friends of mine? Alonzo, we got a tip that you've been trying to sell a gun lately. A gun? Yeah, forty-four Smith and Wesson. Ah. Oh. No, it's not true. That Smith & Wesson's been using a couple of robbery jobs this month, and we think it's your gun. That's a lie. Any proof of that? Why, yeah. Sure, I got proof of that. Uh, I used to have a gun, but it wasn't a Smith & Wesson. Look, if I tell you where it is, that ought to convince you, shouldn't it? It'll help things. Okay. I sold it to a neighbor of mine. He gave me seven bucks. I'll give you his address. You sure it's not a Smith & Wesson? Sure, I'm sure. It's a thirty-two twenty. Yeah, it worked. We went to the neighbor's address, and he admitted having bought the thirty-two twenty, but said he'd lent it to a friend who'd never returned it. The friend had hocked the gun to a barber. The barber gave him 15 bucks and a haircut for it. We finally got it from the barber, and we came back to the station. I'm all set, Joe. I'll be in the next room. Just give me the nod. Okay. Hello, Alonzo. Hey, you got the gun. Yeah, we got the gun. Well... Now, maybe you'll believe I'm on the level. Okay, if I go now? I guess we won't be able to hold you here much longer. You can say that again, brother. You gotta save a lot of time for you to listen to what I've been trying to tell you all along. I guess you're right, Alonzo. Sure, I'm right. You know, you guys would be a lot better off you believe guys like me the first time we tell you something. Instead of running. I was only a lookout. I was outside. Huh. It was the other two. Pull that one. Huh? Stuba and Alonzo. Alonzo killed the clerk. Hold it, Alonzo. Hold it, Alonzo. Alonzo. That's enough. Now, right, come on. How about it? What's the use? All right. It's like he said. Okay, Ben. Bring the recorder in here. Alonzo's ready to make a record now. By playing back Crandall's statement that we'd recorded earlier, we got a full confession from Alonzo. We took the three of them out and had them reenact the four shootings, and we photographed it on sound film. Crandall, the redhead, was the one who'd shot the two police officers, but he was only the lookout for the liquor store killing, which explains why the girl witness didn't see him in the store. 
Stuba and Alonzo were the ones who pulled that job. And Alonzo, the worst of the bunch, was the one who put the 3220 against the spine of the wounded clerk. The three of them took turns at shooting the cab drivers and robbing them. That accounted for the mixed-up descriptions, including all that left-handed business. Two of the three suspects happened to be left-handed. Well, that was the crop. Crandall Alonzo Stuba. Four shootings, three robberies, four attempted murders, one murder. The three men were tried and convicted. They're all in the state penitentiary. Crandall's there for life. Alonzo and Stuba, they'll be executed next week. File it, will you, Ben? Case closed. Dragnet! The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. You have just heard the second in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Radio Officer Delmer E. Cook of the Los Angeles Police Department, who, on the afternoon of December 6th, 1948, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for Robert Young, who stars in Father Knows Best. Time now for Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young. My fear is Maxwell House the best coffee in the whole world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. It's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by Maxwell House, the coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. spring with all its splendor, all its birds and all its blossoms, all its flowers and leaves and grasses, and its sulfur and molasses. Of course, that's taking slight liberties with Mr. Longfellow and Hiawatha, but I'm sure you get the general idea. It's that lazy, easygoing time of year when it feels good just to sit around and, well, sit. Anyway, that's the way it is in Springfield, in a certain white frame house occupied by the Andersons. Like this. Betty. Betty. Did you say something, Mother? What on earth are you doing? I'm washing the dishes. I know, but you've washed the same dish four times. Now stop daydreaming or you'll never get finished. Yes, Mother. (sighs) (laughs) Mommy, I put all my things away like you said and I was just... What you doing? I'm taking down kitchen curtains. What for? So I can wash them. Why? Kathy, isn't there something else you have to do somewhere? I don't think so. Well, how about drying the dishes? 
Maybe there is something I have to do. <laughs> You'll find a dry towel behind the kitchen door. Start on these, frog face. Okay. Mommy, doesn't Daddy feel well? Of course he feels well. Then why is he sitting in the den? Who, dear? Daddy. He isn't, Angel. He and Bud are out in the backyard in the den. Uh-huh. He and Bud. They're just sitting there. Well, we'll see about that. I'll be back in a minute, girls. Okay. Creepers, what a little snitcher you turned out to be. I'm not a little snitcher. All I did was ask for I don't know what's gotten into those two. If I don't keep after them every second. Jim. Jim. Uh, You want me, honey? So, you are in the den. I thought you and Bud were going out to beat the rugs. Uh... We were just resting for a minute, that's all. Hi, Bob. Jim Anderson, before you rest, you're supposed to do something. Well, we did. Didn't we, Bud? What? Didn't we? Didn't we what? <laughs> do something. Oh, sure. We carried the living room rug out. And it's all ready to be beaten. <laughs> it's heavy, too. Jim, one full hour ago, I asked you and Bud... Honey, you can't rush these things. You've got to be careful about them. After all, we've got good rugs, and we want to keep them that way. Don't we? It doesn't take an hour to carry one rug outside. Well, we were doing some research. Tell her about the magazine, Dad. Bud, will you please let me handle this my way? I told you. Well, I thought maybe you forgot. I didn't forget. I expressly told you in the very beginning. What magazine? It isn't important, Margaret. Bud and I were merely looking through some old magazines, and, well, it isn't important. You said it'd get us out of beating the rocks. Bud. <laughs> Jim, if you mean that idiotic article on the care of carpets... Honey, it is not an idiotic article. It was written by an expert, and he said you should never beat a rug. That's what he said. He said... Since when does a man know anything about cleaning anything? But, Margaret, this man's in the rug business. And he says... My grandmother Williams knew more about cleaning a house in two minutes than he knows in ten years. And she always beat her rugs. The man says that beating a rug does more harm than good. It breaks all the, uh... Well, whatever it's gotten back. Doesn't it, bud? Hmm? (laughs) Doesn't it? You bet, Dan. I bet what? Uh, you bet. (laughs) Jim, my grandmother Williams... Your grandmother Williams didn't have a vacuum cleaner. Of course not. They hadn't even been invented. But if they had been invented... She still wouldn't have used one. Why not? Because they didn't have any electricity. (laughs) But... Yes, Dan? Give me a hand with the rug. But you said... Never mind what I said. It'll be easier to beat the rugs. Mother! I'm in the den, Betty. Come on, bud. Roll it up and we'll carry it out. Holy cow. (laughs) Mother, I just thought of the most horrible thing. What if it's too cold for my yellow formal? Dear, it's no problem at all. You can always wear the blue one. Again? But, Mother... Lift your feet, will you, Betty? You're standing on the rug. Mother, how can I possibly wear that old thing? You'll think it's the only winter formal I have. Well, it is, isn't it? (laughs) That's what makes it so awful. 
But hurry up with that rug before something else happens. Want to help me lift the desk? Uh, just a second. Let's try explaining it once more. <laughs> Margaret. Jim, if you and Bud are too lazy to beat a few small rugs... Small? Bud, please, let me handle it. But she said small. Margaret, it is not a question of laziness. Bud and I are perfectly willing and anxious to do our share of the work around here. Hmm. <laughs> what was that? I didn't say anything, Father She said, eh <laughs> Look, Betty, if you're unhappy with the way this household is being operated Jim, are you or are you not going to beat the rugs? I'm trying to explain to you The man said Daddy! All right, Bud, grab the other side of the desk <laughs> But aren't you going to tell Mom what the man said? In this house, who can remember what anyone said? Grab the desk. Holy cow. Daddy, a man just came to the back door. Do you know what he was selling? I don't care what he was selling. Are you ready, bud? Okay. Lift. Boy, that's heavy. Daddy, a man just came to the back door, and do you Kathy, know what... I already told you I don't care what he was selling. Get off the rug, will you, Squirt? I have to roll it up. Jim, it won't hurt for her to tell you. Margaret, if you want us to beat the rugs... All right, Kathy. What was he selling? Swimming pools. Fine, we'll take five or six dozen... <laughs> what? Oh, Daddy, we need a swimming pool. Can't we please get one? Honey, feel her head and see if she's all right. <laughs> Kathy, are you sure... Lots of people have swimming pools, and I don't see why we can't have one. Mother, if I have to wear the blue formal again, can't I please take the shoulders off? Betty, the phone is ringing. I know, but all the other girls are wearing them without shoulders, and that's the least you can let me do. Betty, your mother asked you to answer the phone, and anything else can wait until... Pardon me, Dad. You're on the rug. <laughs> Leave the rug alone for a minute. But you said to roll it up. I said to... Betty, the phone! It only has two little straps anyway, and if I cut them off, it'll look all together different. I don't know. And it's red! What is... The swimming pool. Margaret, I think I'll go upstairs and lie down. You just got up. A man going around selling red swimming pools. All right, bud, let's get the rug outside. I just thought of something. What if it rains? It isn't going to rain. You can't be too sure, Margaret. Why don't we uh, wait a few hours and see? Jim... Grab the rug, bud. I just thought of something else. What if... Bud. You want me to take this end, Dad? Either one. They're both the same. Father, did you see an envelope with a lot of writing on the back? But if you're going to take that in, you've got to turn around the other way. What for? So you can see where you're going. Or aren't you interested? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I never thought of that. Did you? Did I what? See an envelope with a lot of writing on it. Betty, can't you see I'm busy? Your mother insists on having the rugs beaten and... All right, bud, pick it up. Now? Yes, now. Okay. Who is that on the phone, Betty? Oh, I forgot. Father, Mr. Phillips wants to talk to you. <laughs> well, that's nice. Just any time you get around to it. 
Oh, I'm sorry, Father. I happened to think of Janie because that's who I thought it'd be. And she needs the information I wrote on the back of the envelope. And then I remembered I'd forgotten where it was. That's all, huh? I think so. Oh, there was one other thing. Mr. Phillips said to tell you he was in a hurry. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Amnesia of 1951. <laughs> I couldn't help it, Mother. I started to think about the letter. Ma, that's the front door. I can't go, Dad. I'm holding the rug. I'll answer it, Daddy. <laughs> He's holding the rug. Now, there's a great excuse for you. Hello, George. Oh, I'm sorry it took so long, but Betty... This afternoon? No, I don't think so, George. I know, but... George, I don't feel like playing golf. I just want to sit around and take it easy. Daddy! Hold it a second, George. Kathy, can't you see I'm on the phone? Daddy, there's another man at the door, and he says... We don't want any. But he says it'll only take a minute Kathy, and... tell him we don't want any, and tell him to go away. No matter what it is? No matter what it is. Even if it's a swimming pool? Especially if it's a swimming pool. Gee whiz, I never get anything. You'll get plenty if you don't stop that complaining. Gee whiz. <laughs> I'm sorry, George, but... No, honestly, George, I haven't the strength to swing a golf club today. I really haven't. Okay, George. Thanks for calling. Sure, we'll do it some other time. So long, George. I wouldn't go around a golf course today if they carried me piggyback. Jim, I think you'd better come in here. Yes, dear. Fine thing. I'm too tired to play golf, and I've got to beat rugs. Father, I'm awfully sorry. Give him the letter, Betty. Give me what letter? I didn't know it was important, and anyway, I forgot all about it. Betty found the letter on which she made her notes. Good. Now, is everybody happy? They are. They won't be for long. The letter's from Mr. Gribble, and it's for you. What? It was next to the telephone, Father, and I didn't know it hadn't been opened. Give me that letter. But I thought you'd already seen it, and I didn't think... It isn't bad enough to have a son who steals all my neckties. Now I've got a daughter who hides my mail. Jumping creepers. I sent the man away, Daddy, and he said to tell Holy you... Holy jumping catfish. Do you know what this letter is? It's only the key to $20,000 worth of insurance. Why, Jim... Listen to this. Dear Jim, my friend Floyd Miller is here at my hunting lodge, but he expects to be in Springfield a week from Saturday. I know you generally don't go to your office on weekends, so I'm taking the liberty of giving him your home address. He wants you to help him set up an insurance schedule, and I feel that an additional $20,000 policy... Betty, do you realize what you almost did? I'm sorry, Father. I didn't do it on purpose. Thank goodness it's next Saturday. The way this house looks today... Dad... Wait a minute. The letter's dated April... Betty, when did this letter arrive? Oh, about a week ago. <laughs> a week ago? Oh, Betty! Dad, it's this Saturday. He'll be here today. Jim, what are we going to do? I don't know, but if anything like this... Oh, my gosh. The man at the door. Oh, dear. Dad. Kathy, uh, did the man say he was selling anything? You mean like swimming pools? Like anything. I don't know. He just said he wanted to see you about some business. Jim, where are you going? Don't you understand? That was Mr. Miller. I've got to stop him. Dad. What is it? Now can I put down the rug? <laughs> oh, no.
moments later, and the walk outside the white frame house on Maple Street is full of Andersons. Big Andersons, little Andersons, medium-sized Andersons. They're all involved in a gay little game called Button, Button, Who's Got Mr. Miller? Fascinating, isn't it? Kathy, you've got to help us. You're the only one who even saw him. Saw who? Mr. Miller. Oh, Angel, think hard. Did he have a car? I don't know. Uh, was there a car parked in front of the house? I don't know. Well, don't you know anything? I don't know. What a little dope. I didn't lose the letter. That's telling us, Squirt. You keep out of it. Well, stop picking on her. Kathy, try to think. When he left the house, did Mr. Miller walk over to a car? Jim, wouldn't it be easier to call Mr. Gribble? Honey, you can't call Mr. Gribble. You remember that rat trap he calls a hunting lodge? No lights, no phone, no water. No. What? He didn't. Who didn't what? Mr. Miller. He didn't walk over to a car. I just remembered. Well, now we're getting somewhere. He ran down to the corner. He ran? Jimmy Woody's dog chased him. <laughs> oh, fine. How to make friends and influence customers. Dad, maybe if I get on my bicycle... Just a minute, bud. We don't even know what he looks like. Gosh, that's right. It, was he a tall man, Kathy? Well, pretty tall. That's a big help. What's pretty tall? Five feet, six feet, seven feet, five feet. Kathy. Seven feet? <laughs> Let's just forget about that. Uh, was he wearing a coat? Oh, sure. And pants, too. <laughs> I mean, was he wearing a top coat? I don't think so. All right. So far, we know he's a man between five and seven feet tall wearing a coat and pants. Do you remember what color his suit was? Oh, sure. It was uh, sort of a bluish brown. Now, there's a great description, if I ever heard one. Well, it was kind of blue and brown. How about his eyes? Oh, he had those all right. <laughs> I mean the color, dopey. Betty, if she can't remember the color of a man's suit, how do you suppose... I remember his eyes, Daddy. They were brown. Not bluish brown? Oh, no. I remember because he looked just like somebody we know. He did? Who? What? Who did he look like? You've got to remember. Try hard, Angel, please. Oh, I remember. He looked just like the Hathaway's Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> well, I guess that takes care of that. Jimmy, he couldn't have gone very far. That's right, Dad. He only left here a couple of minutes ago. I know, but which way did he go? He went that way. Betty. I'm sorry, Father. It slipped out. I couldn't help it. You can't help anything these days, can you? Well, it won't do any good to stand out here and argue. All right, let's go inside and argue. <laughs> I have a better idea. Kathy. Yes, Mommy? Suppose you run down to the bus stop and see if Mr. Miller's there. Okay. Margaret. Go ahead, Kathy. If he's there, do you want me to bring him back? Yes. Alive, if possible. <laughs> but you can ride up and down all the cross streets and see if you can find anyone who... Well... Looks like the Hathaway's Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> Jim, we're doing this for you. And I'm very grateful. Go 
Go ahead, bud. Say, I've got a great idea. I'll get the fellas to help me. Fine. If you see anybody wearing a coat and a pair of pants, ask him if his name is Floyd Miller. <laughs> okay, Dad. We'll make the Northwest Mounties look safe. Well? What? Where do I go? Uh, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I didn't intend to. All right, Betty. Hmm? You and I are going inside and straighten up the house. Creepers, we just got it pulled apart. Margaret, you don't think there's any possibility of their finding the man. Why, hey. Now what? There's a taxi. Maybe he saw Miller. Hey, taxi! Taxi! Come along, Betty. What a family. Nothing ever goes right. Taxi! Yes, sir. You want a cab, mister? Uh, not exactly. You see, we're looking for, uh... You didn't happen to see a man in a, well, a bluish-brown suit, did you? A what? Well, my daughter's the only one who saw him, and she said... Mister, I almost broke my neck getting over here, and you just want to ask me questions? Oh, no. I'll be glad to pay you for your trouble. You see, we're trying to find a man named Floyd Miller. He came to the house, but we didn't know who he was, and I told my you, daughter... You, uh, don't want a cab, huh? No. You see, I got a letter from a client of mine, J.P. Gribble, and he said... Where? So now they're hiring cowboys to drive the taxis in Springfield. Isn't that nice? Uh-uh. Oh, hello, officer. I was just telling the driver... I'll be telling him a few things myself. Could I see your license, please? What did I do? Officer, I'd like to explain... Just a second, please. What was that you said? I didn't do nothing. What did I do? And let's see now. Outside of making a U-turn, exceeding the speed limit, and parking on the wrong side of the street... I can't think of a thing. Well, sure. Officer, but... if you'll just let me explain. Dad, will you hear what I did? I got eight but guys. But I was talking to the officer. But I have to tell you, I broke the whole neighborhood up into districts. What an organization. And I told them to stop everybody who looks like a cocker spaniel. Like <laughs> <laughs> a what? Officer, you see, we're trying to find a I'll man... I'll see you later, Dad. I gotta keep going. Officer, uh, you've heard of J.P. Gribble. Now, wait a minute. What was that about a cocker spaniel? Well, that's what he looks like. Who? Uh, Floyd Miller. You see, he came to the house, and my daughter thought he was selling swimming pools. Oh, she did. <laughs> Tell him about the bluish-brown suit. You keep out of this. Well, that's what the guy said. Get out of here before I run you yes, in. Yes, sir. No, hey, wait a minute. That's not what he meant. Uh, now, look what you've done. I'm awfully sorry, but all I did was... Father, come in here. We found him. You did? Mother talked to Mrs. Gribble on the phone. Officer, I've got to go inside. You're staying right here. But why? What did I do? It... Uh, nothing. <laughs> Nobody ever does anything in my beat. I'll be right in, Betty. Well, hurry. All I ever do. Walk up and down. Where is he? What did Mrs. Gribble say? Isn't it wonderful? Mother had a hunch and called her, and she gave Mother the phone number. Honey, you're a genius. I've been telling you that for years. Remind me to kiss you later. I'll do that. Now hurry up and make the call. It's Rock Falls 235, ring six. Margaret, I'd love you even if you weren't rich. Oh, you just say that. Long distance is 113. Thank you very much. Well, I was just trying to help. Hello, long distance? Rock Falls 235, ring six. Honey, I... Oh, no, not you, operator. <laughs> I, uh, I want Rock Falls 235, ring six. Thank you. Isn't it exciting? Uh, who do I ask for, Mr. Miller or Mr. Gribble? Uh, Mr. Finch. <laughs> Mr. who? Finch, like a bird. 
Who is Mr. Finch? He's a farmer who lives a mile away from the Gribbles Lodge. And whenever he goes by, he delivers messages. Oh, that's a great help. Well, it's certainly better than nothing. Oh, I suppose... Hello? Oh. Well, thank you very much. What did you say, Jim? The circuits are busy. Oh, fine. Dad, we found him. We found him. Bud, you'll hurt yourself. We found Mr. Miller. We found Take him. Take it easy, son. Let's not get all excited. Now, where did you find him? Cassie found him waiting for the bus. Creepers. He'll be here any second. I just knew. Wait a minute. Where are you going? I have to stop the fella. Bud. You're paying them five cents a block. I... Well, hurry up! I'll be back. Five cents a block, eight boys. This can cost me a fortune. Margaret, maybe I better go help Bud round them up. You'll stay right here and round up the rugs. But, honey, we can't possibly get them. Holy jumping catfish. I haven't shaved. Well, you're not going to shave now. You take care of the rugs while Betty and I put the curtains back in the kitchen window. Honey, there isn't any. Come along, Betty. Yes, Mother. Margaret, he isn't going into the kitchen. He might. Rugs. How can I get the rugs? Daddy! Well... Hello, Mr. Anderson. Come right in. Thank you. Daddy, I found him waiting for the bus, just like Mommy said. I know, kitten. Bud told us all about it. Well, I'm certainly glad Kathy was able to find you. Oh, that's quite all right, Mr. Anderson. I was only too happy. Kathy, why don't you go into the kitchen and see if you can't help Mommy? Can't I even listen? This will be just business, kitten. It wouldn't interest you at all. Now, run along like a good girl. Gee whiz, I never get to do anything. She's a sweet child, isn't she? Yeah, she, uh... <clears throat> I hope you'll forgive the way the house looks. It's, uh... Well, you know how it is with spring cleaning. Oh, yes. Happens every year, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Oh? Uh-huh. I think you'll get a kick out of this. We thought you were selling swimming pools. Swimming pools? <laughs> Isn't that the silliest thing you ever heard? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it certainly is. (laughs) Swimming pools. (laughs) Well, I suppose we might as well get down to business. Uh, All right, Mr. Anderson. I represent the little giant potato peeler, and I'm going to give you a demonstration of the finest kitchen aid this world has ever known. This is a one-piece, solid steel, rust-proof, tarnish-proof, full-proof kitchen gadget. coffee for your family this weekend, you'll be looking for the best value. And in coffee, that automatically means the best flavor. For after all, the enjoyment of truly fine flavor is what you really want from coffee. So take home the one coffee that's famous the world over for flavor, our Maxwell House coffee, in the familiar blue tin with the big white cup and drop. Then let your husband, the world's greatest coffee expert, enjoy that famous flavor. When he smiles and says, best coffee ever, you'll know Maxwell House is your coffee. And value? Well, count for yourself all the wonderfully satisfying cups you get from each pound. Yes, for coffee that gives you your money's worth and more in superbly delicious flavor, always choose Maxwell House. Coffee that's always good to the last drop. It's later now in the hectic day, 
and the Anderson household is a buzz of springtime activity. Bud is busy beating rugs, Kathy is busy waxing tables, Margaret and Betty are busy with the curtains and drapes, and Jim, well, he's busy with the phone, like this. Operator, we canceled the call to Rock Falls. I know, but... But... Oh, they're calling us. I beg your pardon. Yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Hello? Hello, J.P. How are you? Well, that's fine. Oh, sure, I got your letter. No, there wasn't any, uh... He what? Oh. Well, sure, I understand. Okay, J.P. Oh, not at all. See you next week. Thank you, J.P. Goodbye. Who was it, dear? It was Gribble. It was? What on earth did he want? Oh, he, uh... He just wanted to tell me about Floyd Miller, that's all. What about Mr. Miller? Well, it seems that he's going to stay at the lodge for another week. There isn't anything wrong, is there? Oh, no. He just sprained his back feeding Gribble's rugs. again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra. In our cast were Ted Donaldson as Bud, June Whitley, Rhoda Williams, Norma Jean Nilsson, Jack Moyles, Jerry Hausner, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, followed by Escape. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.